Acts chapter 4. I just have a short verse, believe it or not, and it fits in well with Membership Sunday, so I didn't change my theme. We're still working on the church is at its best when. It's just part four, but it fits in well with Membership Sunday and just kind of talking about church family stuff. So in week one, number of weeks ago, I said the church is at its best when we preach the person of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Week number two, the church is at its best when we preach that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Savior and the one that anoints us with the Holy Spirit and baptizes us with power to witness. In week three, the church is at its best when we preach and live Jesus is Savior and healer. And we took some time to pray for one another at the altar that afternoon. Today, the text is found in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and you will answer the church is at its best when. Well, let's get right to the text. It says in Acts 4, verse 32, that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I read a couple of verses there to give you the complete thought. But the focus today, that the church is at its best when all believers are one in heart and mind. The context from this seems to focus only on the financial aspect. If you were to continue to read to the end of chapter 4, and I ask you to do so, and then again into chapter 5, you will notice that the focus there is around the church helping those that need help. And it tells us in this story that those that had, and the impression is those that had excess, those that had excess homes or excess land would sell some of their excess, they would bring the money to the apostles, and they would say to the apostles, here, distribute the sale of the property or the home to those that have need. And of course, they recognized that the apostles would probably have the best idea of who actually needed the support. And so people just willingly did that. It wasn't a command. It wasn't an edict. Uh, as far as we know, nobody preached about it. It was just that they decided to take care of one another. So the, the evidence given that they were all of one heart and one mind was that those that had the ability to bless others did so. And I'm wondering if, if, if perhaps that's the one example given, because for some of us, uh, giving of our excess or giving of our finances is sometimes the hardest thing that, that we, we do. Now, that's not everybody, and I don't really want to camp on it, but, but I think that might be it, that for some of us, again, not everybody, but for some of us, the greatest dedication that we can show to somebody else, the greatest love, the greatest support, isn't a phone call, isn't an email, isn't a card. It's not even helping out. It's, it's giving them 
some money that we've worked hard for. But that seems like that's the focus here. That there was the giving of goods, our limited goods, or their limited goods, their limited resources, and that, that was no small thing. Because again, in those days, and even in our days, some of us hang on to some of that stuff pretty tightly. We work hard for them, we feel we need them now, and perhaps we're going to need them in the future. So to give some of them away feels like we're giving away some of our security. It gives away some of our comfort. Um, it perhaps creates a little bit more stress in us, thinking that maybe now that our resources are less than today than they were yesterday because we blessed somebody with a gift. But you'll notice here in the text in Acts 4, it wasn't an obligation, it wasn't a command. But the Bible tells us in verse 34 that because there was so much grace that God worked upon this church in powerful and wonderful ways, even to the point that they willingly supplied the needs of others who lacked it. People who own lands or houses, and Barnabas is the first guy up that's mentioned by name. He has a field in Cyprus, and he sells the field. He takes the money from it, and he drops it at the apostles' feet, and he says to them, here, do with, what, do with it what you want in order to help somebody else. So the Bible gives evidence here that the main evidence that they are one of heart and mind is that they took care of their friends in need and specifically financially. But let me just back this up a little bit and move the period and eliminate a couple of words. The evidence that they were of one heart and one mind is that they took care of their friends, period. Let's, let's not pigeonhole it, let's not categorize it, let's not make it into just one thing that it was just simply a money thing. But they recognized in the body of Christ that they needed to take care of one another. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I said to you this. I don't know if you agreed with me or not, but I said this. They didn't understand in the early days, weeks, and months, in my opinion, what the church was. Jesus had used the, had used the word ecclesia, uh, the Greek word that he would have used in, in Aramaic. He used it a couple of times as recorded in the gospel, but he never really defined it. And then I defined the word ecclesia, church, for you a few weeks ago, letting you know that back in the Greek and Roman days, it was a common word. It wasn't a specific word like we think of it today and align it simply with church. It was a common word for gathering people out of their homes kind of into the market square, into the public square, to talk about something politically, talk about something maybe economically, talk about something that was affecting the town. They were the called out ones. They were called out of their homes to this public meeting. The church has since taken that phrase, Paul especially, and has now utilized it to talk about a specific body of believers known as the church or the church family in a particular town or churches in a particular town. So Paul kind of takes the common day Greek-Roman word and then uses it for something that we understand today as it relates to a church, whether a building or the people that meet within the building but they were sorting out what it meant to be a church and that's an important thing to sort out what makes this gathering what makes us different than other gatherings what makes this church different than those that gather on Saturday and Sunday to watch their kids play hockey 
or Saturday or Sunday to watch their kids bowl, or Saturday or Sunday to watch their kids at the swim meet, or Wednesday night soccer, or Thursday night baseball. I mean, there's all kinds of gatherings where people stop to watch, stop to be entertained, stop to do something, right? What makes church different? Well, they're sorting this out because back when they were just Israelites, back when they were just a small fraction of the Roman uh, Empire, basically they looked at themselves culturally and religiously. They were the children of Moses. They were, you know, Jewish, if I can use that phrase. They are Israelis. They were, they were heirs of the covenant, and they saw themselves very different than the Gentile world. The Jews were a different group altogether, and indeed they were because of things like cultural, because of things like the covenants, the patriarchs, the Mosaic law. They were different things. But in many ways, they were still out to serve themselves. It, they were tough days. It was survival of the fittest, you know, kind of eat or be eaten, take or be taken. And so there was this individualistic spirit about just kind of taking care of themselves. And then the Holy Spirit comes they become part of this body of Christ, not just physically by meeting in a house somewhere or in the temple porticos, but because spiritually they are born again by the Spirit of God and they are placed into the body of Christ. And now it is Christ in me, the hope of glory, that they realize that they have a new identity. They're the church. And so being part of the church means this. When you see a brother or a sister in need, you help them. Because that's what spirit-filled, Christ-following Christians do. We help one another. And in whatever means that is necessary is if we have the resources to do so, we understand the need to help one another. So this body of Christ, this church, becomes this whole new thing for them. And they're sorting it out. You have to understand this. We've got 2,000 years of history to look back, to cast back and say, well, this is what the church has become. It was, in their day and age, it was all in flux. They were sorting it out as they were moving along in the early days. But one identifying feature that they understood quickly was this. The church, even the new church, the newly born church, the one that's only been around a few months or a few years church, the church is at its best when it's one in heart and mind. So, that's great to know. I want to know this, is how do you get there? Giving money to somebody or a bag of groceries doesn't really put you at one in heart and mind. It's because you're one in heart and mind that you do that. So how do we discover how this church became one in heart and mind because I think that's significant to us in order that we can learn from these folks how we either become one in heart and mind or we stay one in heart and mind. So the good news is we're only, we're only in chapter 4. But you have to look back in their early history to see what brought them together. What, what were the bonds that held them? What were the things that attached them to one another? And what you'll find is that the biggest thing is that they shared common beliefs and common experiences. And it was their shared belief system and their experiences, although not identical, but similar, 
that help them to be one in heart and mind. Let me illustrate this for you in a very simple way. Uh, we, I was just joking around a little bit about the weather in the Dominican. So I have now been to the Dominican Republic. I have now had the opportunity to see Servants Hearts Ministry firsthand for myself, and I shared that with four other teammates. We now have a common experience. So if I were to look to some of them, and they're in this section and a little bit in that section, and I said something like the Pregnancy Education Center, they know exactly what I'm talking about. If, uh, if I try to say the Spanish word quinciana and brutalize it, uh, Linda will still cont continue to do this for the rest of her life. Right? Because that's what I do with Spanish. I tend to butcher it. If I talk about some of the people like Rebecca, Rebecca runs the show there. Phil thinks he's in charge. Rebecca runs the show, right? <laughs> they know what I'm talking about. Because we have common experiences. So we can talk about the flight down and the endless flight back. And we can talk about the, the, you know, all of the action in and around all that Servants Hearts does and the personalities. We've got a common experience. Now, if I said that to Pastor Adam, he would do, and I'm going to be you for a minute except for that beard. He'd go like, I don't know. I don't know a Pregnancy Education Center. I don't know the Loma Center. I don't know Rebecca. Uh, I don't know any of that. So there's something that, that we don't have. It, it, I've got an experience now with Dave because I helped peel Dave off the barbed wire fence. So Dave down there and I were able to sit around Saturday morning at the final debrief and joke a little bit about trying to take the fence out of his right arm, right? Uh, not a common experience, but a shared experience. So it's the, it's the common beliefs were there because we care about you know, kids, we care about moms, we care about families, we want to make sure the gospel is, is spoken to those people, that it's shared, you know, we want to help out. Uh, many of them have sponsored kids, so there's a shared belief system, and there's shared experiences that help bind them together. We just saw uh, the video about those that have served in battle. Now, I've never served in battle, I wouldn't even begin to try to comment on that, but I bet you those that have been on the front lines have shared experience. And they can sit around and talk about stuff that you and I could never sit around and talk about because we don't get it. Because unless you had somebody shooting at you or a bomb going off somewhere near you, there's just no possible way that you could get it, right? But it's those experiences that, that bind, or at least I think, should bind us together. So this church just didn't wake up one day and said, let's be of one heart and one mind. Now I'm looking through you bunch of rebels, right? It's probably not easy to get all of us of one heart and one mind on everything. You think? Right? If I were to do a straw poll and just have fun with you and say, who did you vote for two weeks ago? Please don't raise your hand. Please don't say. Okay, we're just having fun here. Let's keep it church, right? Some of you would have voted conservative, and some of you would have voted NDP, and some of you would have voted liberal. Some of you would have voted green. And maybe some of you did something else, right? Um, we all love Jesus, but we all didn't vote the same way. We, we don't have the same belief system as it relates to who would govern best or who would serve us best in this area. So it's not like you just wake up one day and say, well, all in one heart and one mind. That's not the case. But it's the common beliefs, the shared beliefs and the experiences. So go all the way back to Acts 1, and I mean that kind of rhetorically. But think in your head, in Acts chapter 1, they're with Jesus for 40 days. The first 120. 
and then they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then Peter preaches the gospel, and thousands of people get saved. And then they got to sort out, you know, well, those that are still remaining in Jerusalem, those that aren't going back to their hometowns after the Feast of Pentecost, what are we going to do with them? we we got to kind of get everybody together because we're all Christ followers now, and we've been told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then once we've been told to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're told to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. we got a job to do. So we need to coordinate that. But in the midst of while they were working out what the church is supposed to do, Peter and John are at the gate called Beautiful, and there's been a guy there that's over 40 years old, has been crippled his whole life. And they, they look him straight in the eye, and they pull him to his feet, and the strength comes to his legs and his ankles, and in the name of Jesus, he is healed. And the Sanhedrin wants them to shut up about that. So they tell Peter and John, you know what, even though they notice that they are unschooled, ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus, they tell them to shut up about that. But at the same time, they say, but we can't deny the miracle because everybody saw it, everybody knows about it. But they're told to be quiet about it. And so they're moving through early church persecution where they understand that the Sanhedrin and the religious people don't want Jesus preached because remember, it wasn't that long ago that he was crucified that he was hung on an old rugged cross, that he was placed in a tomb, and then apparently raised from the dead. So let's not talk about Jesus. Church, don't talk about Jesus, because if you talk about Jesus, people might get set free. So please don't. So that's my advice to you today. This isn't even the conclusion. Don't talk about Jesus, because if you do, people might be set free. Amen? I appreciate you recognizing that for what it is. But it is these common experiences that bind them together. And they're not identical. They don't all think alike about every little thing. And as I'm moving through Acts, you'll see that. They don't agree about everything. It is not necessary for us to agree about everything in order to be of one heart and one mind. You recognize that, right? I mean, there are some things that matter, but not everything matters. Unfortunately, sometimes we make the things that don't matter the things that matter, and that puts us out of alignment and disunity because we're focused on the things that don't matter, at least not to everybody. It may matter to you, it may matter to me, but it, it, it's not the big thing that matters or the big things that matter. And so this church understood the big things Preach Jesus, Savior, Baptizer, Healer. Preach Jesus and people will be set free from sin. Preach Jesus and people will will be free from any kind of bondage. Love the body of Christ. Show the community out there how loving we are by loving in here. Because if we can't love in here well, how can we do it out there, right? Because they'll see that. They'll see the phoniness. They'll see the duplicity. But you create you create the one-hearted, one-heartness and one-mindedness by, by taking care of one another and sharing the beliefs that are really important to moving the gospel of Jesus Christ forward and the church of Jesus Christ forward. So what this church did was this. They built the foundation first. They just didn't make it a goal. You know, like the board of the first church got together and said, you know what, our goal is to be of one heart and one mind. In fact, it's so important to us that we're going to write it down on paper because you know if you write it on paper, we're serious. 
So we're going to write it down on paper. We're serious about it. So I'm looking at you guys because you guys are the worst. Craig, I want you to know that even though you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan and I, I, I cheer for Montreal, Craig, you and I are going to be one heart, one mind. Okay? Starting today. I, I command it so. <laughs> you can't do that. But even though there's a difference in us, that we don't root for the same hockey team, again, it's a minor difference, right? Doesn't matter, who cares? You, some of you always say, Brent, shut up about hockey, okay? So I'm almost hearing you. But if I said to Craig, you know what, we, we need to make sure that we're people of prayer, that we love Jesus, that we tell other people about Jesus, that we're praying for the sick, Craig and I are one heart and one mind on that. Common beliefs, shared experiences, right? I know what it's like to be with his stepmom and with his dad back in the day, right, with Shirley and Don. I know what it's like to be in their house. I know what it's like to be in the hospital room when, when Don was up doing roofs when he shouldn't have been doing roofs and fell off the roofs. And I'd go visit him in the hospital and he'd be black and blue and we'd all be saying to him, Don, why are you up on the roofs, dude? You got to quit doing that, right? And I'd go see Shirley. Any of you remember Shirley Armstrong, right? I know for some of you that's a reach. Shirley was like my mom. If I didn't visit regularly, if I didn't get in there on time, I would come through the door and she'd say, it's about time you got your blank here. <laughs> True story. I'll let you fill in the blank. <laughs> True story, right? Now, she didn't mean that in any harmful way. I get her. I get that, right? Shared experiences. So now some of you are like, I don't really know Craig, I don't know Don, and I don't know Shirley. It's not a shared experience. Craig and I can laugh about that because it's a shared experience. Some of you can laugh about that because you know the personalities that I'm talking about. But others of you, I wish you'd get on to something else because I don't get that at all. Right? Shared experience and common belief is what brings us together. The church laid the foundation. So while they're going through all of this, while people are being baptized in the Holy Spirit, while people are being saved when the gospel is preached, while people are being healed, that the apostles are doing extraordinary miracles in Jesus' name, while the Sanhedrin is nipping at their heels telling them to shut up, shared experiences. And from that shared experience and from that bond of love, when it comes to the fact that Adam needs some help now, Nathan goes and sells some excess property that he's got in McGregor, brings the money to the board and says, you know what, help those who need help. The board decides that Adam needs some help and they helped Adam, right? It isn't even so much that Nathan knows Pastor Adam, but he's got a concern for the body of Christ. So he says to the apostles, to the leaders, you take care of it. Whoever needs to be taken care of, right? It isn't even direct, but it's this understanding that we take care of the community of faith. Whoever that is, whether I know them or not, or I'm best friends or not. So during the first weeks and months and eventually years, the church is building a foundation. And through that time, they become one in heart and mind. They weren't born into it. They weren't even saved into it. Although the seeds are there once you're saved because the Holy Spirit is working now. But they had to grow into it. They had to learn it. They had to have some shared experiences. They had to have some important shared beliefs. And that's what made them one in heart and one in mind. It just doesn't, it just doesn't come because you click your heels, Dorothy, and wish it to be so. It takes some work. It takes some spiritual sweat. 
And I think the key thing that's mentioned just briefly in 34, it takes the grace of God working in a community. Because again, we don't see eye to eye on everything. We don't even see eye to eye on some important things sometimes. But we need to see eye to eye and be of one in heart and one in mind on the most important things that re relates to Jesus Christ and his call to be gospel preachers and teachers. Can you say amen to that? So we've got some memberships to do. So let me wrap this up. You've got to build the foundation. Let me give you some foundational uh, ingredients for this. You've got to be people of the word. Remember what it says in Acts 2.42? I preached on that a couple of weeks ago, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, right? They did that, and to prayer. There were four key ingredients there. So they put those four key ingredients from Acts 2.42 to 47 together, and they built the foundation. If we're not people of the Word, if we're not fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit with one another, if we're not worshiping together, if we're not praying together, then you're not going to give to help somebody out. You've got to build the foundation. You've got to make sure that Christ in you, the hope of glory, is fully manifested in you so that you and I act like Jesus would and not like Brent would or not like Taylor would, or like Nathan would, or like John would. It's like Jesus would. You've got to take the foundational ingredients. Being one of mind and one of heart's not an easy thing for broken people. And we are, to some degree, and we, we glory in the cross of Jesus Christ, in his saving grace, in his blood that cleanses from every sin, and the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But for you and I to pretend, for me to pretend that I'm perfect, or for you to pretend that you're perfect, or that we don't have things that we're working on, or things that we're working through, or things that we got to work out, that our attitude's always the, uh, you know, always the best. Like, we're kidding ourselves, right? There is a part of us that is still under work of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and that God is still healing parts of us. It's different in, in different people, but the healing process is still going on. I am not fully conformed to the image of Christ that I ought to be, yet at the same time, the Bible says to me that I am the righteousness of Christ. It's a strange thing, but it's true. Being one of heart and one of mind is not easy for people broken by sin but healed through the cross. We're going to see the church family... in new ways, in new lights. We have to understand that no church, never mind individuals, but because the individuals are flawed, that no church is perfect. And that we're always, we're always a work in progress, even as a family. Now, hear the pastor's heart on this. I wish I was a perfect pastor, and I wish you were perfect uh, parishioners. And you're thinking, well, I'm with you on half of that. It'd be a lot easier, right? It'd be a lot easier. But that's not the way it is. So in order to be one of heart and one of mind, we're going to have to put some spiritual sweat into this in order to be what God wants us to be. But unless you're willing to build the foundation, you're, you're never going to frame the house. So the foundational work is key to that, devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, all of that stuff 
is so necessary. The shared experiences of doing this together. One of the best ways I've gotten to know people in this church in the years that we've been here is through crisis. Because people tend to put the facade aside when it's crisis stuff. It's one thing to, you know, to play football with one another at the church picnic. It's a whole other thing to be in a hospital room or an emergency room or in the quiet room of the hospital wondering not a loved one is going to make it and you're there with them. That's a whole other thing. It's amazing how some of those really intense moments of our lives can bond us, bind us so quickly. We're just the... The, the, the casual handshake that we do on Sundays. We can do that week after week after week with people and never get to know them. We're friendly, but we never get to know them. We touch hands, but we don't touch hearts. And we have to get moving from the touching hands to the touching hearts, and that's a lot harder. So, being of one heart and mind is only possible when you put people first. The example here is they help the poor. No one said this, because this comes up at committee meetings. Well, why are they poor? Are they lazy? You know, why are they working there? Maybe they should get a better education. Perhaps they spend their money foolishly. Adam, why is Nathan needing to help you? We're going to get Ashley. We're going to go through his books. We're going to sort this out, Ashley. <laughs> it was like, let's just help them. Story. We had a guy in Friday. He's not here. I looked. <laughs> Times like this, I love my job. Had a guy come by Friday and gave us a story. I won't tell you the whole story, but he gave us a story. He was looking for money. Here's the thing. If you're looking for money from the church or this church while I'm pastoring, would you do this? Would you just say the truth? So I got the story, and I'm used to, I've been getting pastoral stories for 35 years. You know, my cat broke its leg, my dog died, you know, whatever, right? My mother-in-law moved in, something. I've, I've had all kinds of stories. <laughs> and he insists that he's been here a bunch of times, and I should know him. Pastor Adam has no idea who he is. He tells me his name. I won't say the name, but he tells me his name. And so, like, I know, because I've been here for almost 20 years, He's not been here. We have, a, we have a, a follow-up ministry, Keeper's Ministry, that Carol Maydell runs. And Carol is like super sleuth. She knows everybody. Never seen his name on a Keeper's list for as long as we've been doing this. But he assists. So I can't help myself but be me. Adam's in the office listening to how I'm handling this. And, and this other guy is sitting there while I'm getting him a little bit of cash and some grocery cards. And, I'm, and so I'm calling this by his name. So we're going to call him Jeff. I'm like, Jeff, you sure you've been here before? You sure, Jeff? Because I don't recognize you. And I'm, are you sure, Jeff? And Adam's killing himself in the office, can't believe that I'm doing this, right? But I know the guy's lying to me. And all I'm thinking is just tell me the truth. You need 100 bucks, we'll give you 100 bucks, right? Nathan's got lots of money, he's got Landon McGregor. It's not about the money. It's not even so much about the need, right? It's not how you spend the money or how you make the money. It isn't about their money. It's about being part of the body of Christ, building the foundation, and a desiring to help one another because we've touched hearts 
and not just hands. It isn't about those other things. We don't help people or love people because they look like us, think like us, or vote like us. We love people because Jesus tells us to love people. In the first four chapters of the book of Acts, it mentions several times the important role the Spirit of God plays. Witnessing, healing, preaching, and loving. If we're not filled with the Spirit, we're going to be filled with something else. Let me pray for you.